The first Valentine's Day, this is going to be a cash prize. Joel's going to give you 100 bucks if you can guess which day it is. Don't, don't use your phone. When was the very first Valentine's Day celebrated? <laughs> oh, is that what it was? Okay. First Valentine's Day, February 14th, 496. Why Valentine's? Why did Valentine's start? Actually, it was actually St. Valentine's Day, or the Feast of St. Valentine. And it started as a Christian feast day honoring one of the early Christian martyrs, St. Valentine. St. Valentine, he went to jail and he would minister to Christians. He restored sight to a blind uh, daughter of his jailer. Before his execution, he wrote a, a nice letter to the jailer's daughter, the girl that he healed, or God healed through her. And he signed it, Your Valentine. This was a man who was committed. He was a priest, a Catholic priest, but he was committed to help Christians. And because he was committed to help Christians, he went to prison and ultimately lost his life. And that is how St. Valentine's Day started. We've kind of changed it a little bit, right? We don't really talk about St. Valentine anymore. We've kind of changed it to different things. How many of us know that, you know, Valentine's here tomorrow and there's going to be chocolate? There is going to be food, as Joel's already mentioned. There will be, in the restaurant business, usually, typically, it's one of the best days in food service, along with Mother's Day, Father's Day, all those good things. But Valentine's Day is an amazing day for sales. The people who sell the Valentine cards, so Walmart, CVS, all those places, all the money that it brings in, all the love songs that will be played tomorrow. We heard one of those love songs last week, but here are some of the top love songs ever. My Endless Love, I Will Always Love You, How Deep Is Your Love, The Power of Love, My Girl, This Magic Moment, Unforgettable, Your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher, All You Need Is Love. How about You're the Inspiration? I just called to say, I love you and I'm crazy for you. What is love? If you look up the definition of love, it's love is a set of emotions, behaviors that are characterized by intimacy, passion, and commitment. What is love? Just simply defined in the dictionary, set of emotions, behaviors characterized by intimacy, passion, and commitment. Love means to be deeply committed, connected to someone, a bond that only two people share. Love is also complex. How many of us know that love stirs a mix of emotions? Love is complex. It stirs a mix of behaviors. Love stirs strong feelings. There's five love languages out there. There's words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. Most of us in here, you know, as we hear that, the five love languages, we want to check the box. I'll take all of that, right? Words of affirmation. Quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. Why is love so important? Why is love so important to us? Why are we designed in such a way that every single person, we want love. We want to be loved. We want, we want this love. You know, being in love causes our body to release feel-good hormones. There's neurochemicals that, that trigger positive actions. There's chemicals that as soon as you, your heart feels love in your mind and your body, there, it releases these hormones and you get an extra surge of energy. 
Some of us will, can remember feeling our heart raised for the first time or loss of appetite and having butterflies, the loss of desire to sleep, the motivation, there's extra motivation, looking for a reward, something exciting, special, unique. All these different hormones that get released when we fall in love. But just as, e as easy it is to fall in love, how many of us know it's just as easy to fall out of love? Why does love change? Falling in love is so natural. Falling in love is so natural, but sustaining love is unnatural. The average length of marriage today, 8.2 years. High risk in marriage, first, uh, first two years, and then the seventh and eighth year. That was the very high risk in marriages. People say that, you know, well, first one didn't work, we try again. That isn't really, that it's not really accurate. 60% of people who get married the second time end in divorce. 60% of people who get married the second time end in divorce. If the second one doesn't work out, maybe the third one will, right? No, it gets worse. 73% of the people who get married the third time end up in divorce. There's five stages of marriage. Honeymoon stage, and boy, we love that one, right? Second stage of marriage, power struggle. If you've been married, you know what that feels like, right? Third stage of marriage, stability. When do I feel stable? Fourth stage of marriage, the feeling of being committed. Fifth stage of marriage, co-creation. So this morning as we think about marriage, as we think about love, and I bring up marriage because marriage, obviously for us, we know tomorrow's Valentine's Day, and if you're married, just a little side note, you should do something nice for your spouse, okay? Don't neglect them, even if it's a little note, right? Do something, right? Do something nice. Even when the spouse says, don't do anything, that means do something, right? Happy Valentine's Day. But I bring up love, I bring up marriage, because it is one of the greatest symbolism of us and our Christian beliefs. If you have your Bibles this morning, my text is Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1. And this is a total of 51 verses, which I'm not going to read all 51 this morning. So we're going to kind of skip through this story. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And one day Abraham said... To his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath, putting your hand under my thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local girls. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife for my son, Micah. I mean, Isaac. <laughs> Genesis 24, verse 5. Then the servant asked, but... What if I can't find a young woman who's willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Micah, Isaac, there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? W, son. 24, verse 11. The servant made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town, and it was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. And the servant prays. He says, O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, he prayed. Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, verse 13, I am standing here beside the spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. Verse 14. 
This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug of water. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before, turn your neighbor and say, before he had finished praying, and these are the kind of prayers that we like. Before he'd finished praying, he sees a young woman named Rebecca coming out with a water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter who was the son of Abraham's brother, Nahor, and his wife, Milcah. Verse 17. Running over to her, the servant said, please give me a little drink of water from the water jug. Yes, my lord, she answered. That's a proper term for ladies to save their men, right? Yes, my lord. And she quickly lowered her water jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the water trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all the camels. Verse 26, the man bowed low and he worshiped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, he said. The Lord has unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. The young woman ran home to tell her family every single thing that had happened. Skipping down to verse 58. They called Rebecca and they said, are you willing to go with this guy? They asked her and she replied, yes, I will go. And so they said goodbye to Rebecca and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men and the women who had been man walking through the fields to meet us, she asked the servant, and he replied, it is my master. And so Rebecca covered her face with her veil, and the story ends in a beautiful, beautiful Valentine's night. So there's five things this morning that I want to point out from this story. And as we, we take five things from the story this morning, I want to relate it to our relationship to God, relationship in our love, and a relationship in our life. The first thing that we see that Abraham points out or he says in the story to his servant, he says, I want you to go find a wife. And I want you to find not only just any girl, I want you to find the right one. And so as we think about the word right one for a second, you know, in order to find the right one, you have to be the right one. In order to find the right person, you have to be the right person. And see, many times in life, many of us, myself included, we always get stuck on other people's actions while neglecting our own. We get stuck so easy on everyone else's actions. This happens at, at work, it happens at home, it happens in church, and this and this and this. We as people, we just get so easily stuck on what everyone else is doing. And then when we're stuck on what everyone else is doing, we justify our own actions. Well, it's okay for me to do this because other people are doing this. I was listening to a pastor who retired 42 years of preaching and he was asked, why do so many pastors make mistakes? And he says, what happens is because as a pastor, you do good for so many years, you start telling yourself, I've been so good, maybe I can just be a little bad. And honestly, it's not just pastors, okay? Because if you were honest with yourself, how many of us every single day, I've been a little bad, I've been, a, I've been good, now I can be a little bad, right? How many of us, we easily, I've been good all day, now it's time to be a little bad, right? It's so easy for us to get caught and justify our actions 
because we think in our head, I've been good enough, now I can do this. It's so easy to say, well, I'm not gonna love like Jesus until someone loves me like Jesus. That's not, that's not how it works, right? When you stand before God and he brings out a long list and everyone, we get that, that pleasure one day and he examines your life, he's not going to say to you, well, you were right to have a bad attitude and you were right to do this and you were right to make this mistakes because those people did those things to you. No, he's not going to say that. When you stand before God, he's going to say, why did you react the way that you did? You will be judged just as I will for how I react, how I respond, how you react, how you respond. Not anybody else. No matter what anybody does to us, it does not matter what anyone does to us. You stand before the Lord on your own reaction and responses to everyday life. In our relationship to God, in our relationship to our love, in our relationship in life in general, it's not out finding the right one. If this guy's not the right one anymore, I'm gonna go find the right one. If this girl's not right anymore, I'm gonna go find the right girl. No, 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 no. Instead of people constantly looking for something that's right, focus on being the right person. Number two, we see that the servant who is um, a godly man, as soon as his, his um, as soon as Father Abraham asks him to go and find a wife, the very first thing that he does, he travels to the town, right? He leaves home, he travels to the town. But as soon as he gets off the camel, the first thing, what does he do? He prays. You know, every one of us in this room, if we were to take a list and say, what is your definition of success? We would all have certain things that are similar. There would be, you know, houses and there would be bank accounts and money. There would be how I'm remembered when I'm gone. All these different things about what success means to me. But for this man and for this love story, his success wasn't based on what he could do. The success of what he wanted was based on what God could do. And so he knew that, and that's why he got down on his knees and he prayed and he said, God, help me. God, help me. How many of us love these verses that we've quoted over and over again? Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and God will give you everything that you need. So many times we focus on everything else but God. So many times we're focused on, I have to accomplish this. I need to get this done. I need to get this done. Do we leave room for God to move in our life? Do we leave room for him to act and move? We want miracles. We want provisions. We want all of these things. But do we honestly stop and seek his kingdom so that he has the right to move in your life? so that he has the right to move in my life. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't worry about anything, which none of us do, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. The servant in this story, he prepared for success by doing one, one simple thing. What did he do? He prayed. How often do you pray? Soon as he meets this young lady and he knows that she's the one because, and, and 
man, I wish all my prayers were like this. He's praying, and as soon as he's getting done praying, the prayer's already been answered. Here comes the girl. She's walking down the road. She's got the water. He asks the question. She does exactly word for word what he's asked for. He's going to ask for some water. And if this young lady says, yes, but I'll feed your camels, I'll give some to your camels as well. Then he says, I know that this is the one. And she does exactly that, word for word, my prayer being answered instantly. What does the servant do? He gets back down on his knees, and now it says he worships God. He worships God, and he thanks God, and he gives thanks to God because he prayed, he knew where his success would come from. Being thankful helps us feel more positive. It helps us to remember good experiences. Being thankful improves our health. Being thankful helps us deal with adversity, and it helps building strong relationships. Are we thankful to God for every single day that he gives us? Are we thankful to God for the people that God puts in our life? Are we thankful for our spouses? Are we thankful for our kids? Are we thankful? Being thankful, again, is one of those things that when you're thankful, it releases something in your brain which goes down in your body. It makes you have good, positive emotions. Remember good experiences. Being thankful, Psalmist wrote on uh, Psalms 100 verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Being thankful, being a thankful person, God will bring you to special places when you learn to give thanks to him, number one, being thankful. As the story goes on, we see that the uh, servant goes to the family and he's passing out gold and silver and he's giving out all kinds of goodies and treats, but he says to the family, he says, listen, I don't, I don't want to stay here. I need to go home. And they said, wait, 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 no, 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 we need, you need to hang out with us for 10 days. And the guy's like, no, 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 I got to go back home to my master Abraham. They said, well, bring out Rebecca. Let's ask Rebecca. Let's see what she wants to do. And so they asked Rebecca. And think about being, ladies, if you were the one in this story. You only met this guy a day ago. And you really have no idea. I mean, he's got money because he's got silver and gold. So you're thinking, okay, he does have that going for him. So maybe maybe the story's true. Maybe it's accurate. He looks rich. Hopefully his, you know, his master's rich. You know, who knows? We could be going and living in, in Timbuktu. But you only know this guy for one day. You only hear a little story. I mean, it probably feels good, right? And so they asked Rebecca, are you ready to leave us, your family, your sweet mom and dad, and go with this stranger? And she says, I will go. I will go. How much, how much trust? She was sick of her family, right? Okay, let's just say, you know, the other side of the coin, her family, they were mean, they were rude. You know, the Bible talks about Laban down the road. He probably was the worst brother in the whole entire world. So maybe this young lady has been looking for an escape. We don't know. But still in my mind, if you only know a guy for a day and you're ready to take off to a foreign country, it takes a level of trust. It takes a level of faith. And how many times is God calling our faith to become greater? And he's saying, I need you to follow me to a place, to a certain spot that is unknown so that I can increase your faith, so that I can increase the trust that I want you to have in me. And we see this in this story. 
Rebecca goes with the servant and she travels back home and as soon as she gets there, she's seeing the, the stud and she says to the servant, ooh, who's that guy? And this is my master. And so she hurries, she gets off the camel, she jumps into his arms, they get married, they go in the tent, they make it official. Happy Valentine's Day, right? Today my title is called Boundaries of Love. Boundaries of Love, turn to your neighbor and say Boundaries of Love. And what is, what is a boundary? What is a boundary? A boundary is defined a line that marks the limit of an area, a divided line. What is boundaries of love? Well, take a step back for a second. We are believers. We're people who we say we believe in God. Does God have any boundaries? Is God bound by time or space, air, gravity? Is God bound by any boundaries at all? So why did he create us with boundaries? You know, you think this morning, many of us know the beautiful story of Adam and Eve. Life to them seemed good, right? How many know Adam and Eve? It seemed like they had a good life. They had a nice farm. They had a barn. It was red. The house was white, had a picket fence. Everything seemed wonderful until the devil threw a wrench in it. Everything seemed good until the devil threw a curveball and they decided to hit it. Everything seemed good in their life until the devil threw them a pass and they decided to catch it. No matter how good your life is, the devil's focused on bringing you down. No matter how good your life is, the devil's focused on bringing your love down. No matter how good love is, life is, no matter where you are, no matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter where you are spiritually, the devil is focused on bringing you down. See, he knows that there's one little slight issue. When we were born, we're all born with certain limits. The devil knows that when we were created, when we were born, when we grew in our mother's womb, he knew that we had certain limits. There was only one certain kind of love that we were born with. We were born with this love. It's really kind of a selfish kind of love. I'm gonna fully love only for what I can get for myself. You know, as a young person today, how many of us know that kids, instead of really talking to mom and dad, they just go to Google, right? They go to social media. As we grow, we know that in the first four years, so much of the personality levels of trust and faith in those first four years of living, kids develop the most important part of how I'm gonna trust, how I'm gonna love, how will I receive love, the first four years of living. And today it's totally different. Kids growing up today, it's totally different than when we grew up. You know, we watched that video in the beginning and I showed it because most of us in this room, when we got married, you know, 20 some years ago, that's exactly what we expected. We're gonna grow old together. But kids getting married today, they don't have that same mindset. Most divorces now are between 15, and I don't know who's getting married at 15, but between 15 and 24. Young kids aren't getting married to stay married, they're getting married just because they, they think they're getting something. When they don't get it, they just get out. Many of us have grown up now with so many different filters through the years of life, through family, through circumstances, through the culture, through social media, and of course, what Google has to say is now what defines what love is. And so our lives are being bound and there's been lines that have been drawn all around us because of what we have until 
you meet that day, that wonderful day when you meet Jesus Christ. And then boundaries change. The Bible says when you become born again, you get a new heart, you get a new life, you get a fresh start. Doesn't that sound good? When you become born again, you start to see love differently. Now you see it through the lens of God and not through your own eyes. This morning as we wrap up, I'm gonna have you take your piece of paper out and your pen in the pen that I gave you. As you take out your, your heart picture, what I want you to do this morning, and um, not to push you, but we do need to be quick. <laughs> I want you to start filling in the heart with the people you love. So just in the heart, start filling in the people that you love, and if you want, the things that you love. So inside of your heart, who are the people you love? And hopefully you have something to write on. If not, you can use your neighbor's back. Who do you love? And we don't need explanations of why you love them. But honestly, it, this is not something that, you know, we're gonna grade your papers, you're gonna turn in and we're gonna be like, eh, yep, that's correct, nope, no, that's not correct. Nope, you get a C, you get a D, you get an F for fantastic. And if you have 30 million family members like Joel, you're gonna be here a while, but you can just start abbreviating if you need to. So now what I want you to do, I want you to take your pen, and you know the middle of the heart at the top? I want you to take a line and go from the top down to the bottom. Top of the heart, in the middle, go all the way down to the bottom. And then what I want you to do, like three-fourths from the bottom up, I want you to take a line from one side to the other. I want you to make, go sideways. We went up and down, now we're going sideways. And really depending on your heart and how you did, for some of us it could look like a cross. Now I want you to take a look at your heart. And if this really was your heart this morning, we filled it with many things. And I'm sure most of us in this room put God, Jesus in there somewhere, because we have to, because we're in church, right? But the minute you leave church, most of our hearts don't reflect what we put in there right now. Because we put in there Right, so many different things. And if we're honest before God like he wants us to, as soon as we leave church, as soon as we get out of here, there are things that we just love and adore and those things are the things that fill our hearts. Before we put those lines in there, your heart, I hope, was full because that's what God created you. He created you to live a full life. He created you to live a very full, satisfying life. But the problem is that no matter what you fill your heart with, if you don't realize that your heart is divided. And so we drew these lines and depending on where you put the lines, it should look kind of like a cross. You see, real love is actually broken into four different kinds of love. Real love, there is a romantic love, there is a family love, there is a brotherly love, but the biggest love and the hardest one for us to understand, God's unconditional, God's divine, unfailing love 
This is the love that with the heart and no matter what you feel in it, if you don't understand his divine love, none of the other loves in your life will be correct. If you don't fully embrace God's unconditional agape love, if you don't soak in his love, if you don't understand all that he is, we know that from reading the Bible, his kind of love, man, it's crazy. You know what it is? It's reckless. It's like how some of you drive, Joe. Just kidding. God's love is reckless in every day, his pursuit of you. God's love is sacrificial. He cares more about you than he does himself. Jesus is the most vivid picture of God that we can see. We can see that when he walked this earth, he cared for people more than himself. He cared about what he gave, not what he took in. He said, they said, what are you doing? Why are you like this? He said, listen, I didn't come here to be served. I came here. This is God. And he's saying, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve you. And so this morning, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. One through seven real quick, and then we're going to close and pray. But it says, if I could speak of all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that can move the mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have love, I would have gained nothing. This is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not rude. doesn't demand its own way. It's not arable. keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. John 15, 13, there's no greater love than to lay down your life. John 13, 34, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that who? You're my disciples. And how we talk at home, does it show how much we love? And we as parents, sometimes we fail. Sometimes the way that we talk to one another, we're a bad example to our kids. Kim and I as well, we fight we have some good fights. We've learned how to put on the gloves and really duke it out at times. Does your love as a human being in your home, have you been such a great example that your kids, they are so excited to get married one day. When you get to work, do you set such this great example of love that Jesus said, people will know you're my disciple by your Love. Do we set that great example at work or do we just fall into the gossip train? We just fall on the gossip train and we're going to talk about this person, this person, this person. It happens here at church just like it happens at work. Many times we come in talking about another people and this person and that person instead of talking about the Lord. This morning as we wrap up, as we close this morning, God has given you a boundary to live within. He's given you a heart. And within your heart, the only way that your heart works properly is accepting his love. It's unconditional. 
It's forgiving no matter what you say and do. It's so amazing, powerful, and reckless. This is his love. And without God's love, nothing else matters. Without it, without it. Let's go ahead and pray. Close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. You know, this morning I think that most of us would say we have the first three loves down. We know how to be a romantic person in love and we know how to be give, you know, brotherly love and we know how to show family love. Remember, love is easy to fall into, but it's just as easy to fall out of. Love is so easy and natural, but to sustain love is very unnatural. Your love and how you love, it's not based on anyone's actions. It's based on your choices this morning. And this morning, as we close and pray, God has created a boundary for you, for me to live within. And this is the boundary that we'll be judged by. How do we love? So with your eyes closed and heads bowed this morning, we're going to do one last worship song. And as we do one last worship song, we don't fully get God. We don't fully get love. We don't fully get anything until we fully have accepted Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. And this morning with your eyes closed and heads bowed, if you know that there's something missing in your life, in your relationships, in your love... I just ask that you simply surrender to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I just surrender everything to you this morning. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, Jesus, I just laid down my life. As you completely gave yourself to me, I now completely give myself to you. Jesus, come. As you've been knocking on the door of my heart, I open it now. Come and be with me. God, we love you. We praise you. As we walk out of here this morning, God, help us to see the lines clearer than they ever been, the boundary line that you have made for us. God, and help us to love like the world's just on fire. God, help us to love like our life really depends on it. God, help us to love our spouses and our kids and our family. God, help us to love our church family. God, like our life depends on it. God, help us to stand on your love, the agape, unfailing, reckless, wonderful, forgiving love everywhere we go and everything that we do. God, we love you.